A warm welcome to Questions Worth Asking, a podcast where we capture and translate wisdom from multiple disciplines in order to fuel the next generation of changemakers. Hello, welcome to Questions Worth Asking. It's season one, episode four, and I'm Priya. And I'm John. So as we normally like to do, let's start with a check-in. And we've had some feedback on our check-in. We want to make sure we were modeling this correctly. In a check-in, we like to talk about what's present for us right now. What's what's existing? What is it that we need to sort of either get off our chest or just say out loud that helps us um, make sure either distractions are free or that we're focused on what we're about to talk about. So if I go first, my check-in would be, I actually noticed, this is this is real for me in this moment, I've got like a very mild chest pain. There's like a tension in my chest. It's It seems like close to my heart. Um, I don't know what it's about. It's new this morning when I woke up. So it's one of these things that I'm just watching and holding and we'll see if it per- persists or, or what it might represent. But that's my bodily sensation check-in. How about you, Priya? What's present for you? So what's present for me right in this moment is just before we prep record, uh, we have been laughing at uh, the way Americans and British people pronounce certain words. So I'm kind of alive to a bit of playful, a bit of joyous energy uh, in me and also between us right now, which we'll see how that plays out on the call today. So... Uh, let's get into the subject of today. So John and I, in preparing for this um, episode, we wanted to apply some OD theory to some real life topics to showcase some of these theories and show how you can practically use them. And we played um, a game called Match Up. So one of us was charged with naming a social movement, um, which was me. I named the Me Too movement. And at the same time, John was charged with naming an OD theory and he named field theory. And what we'd agreed beforehand was whatever we'd said, whatever social movement we'd said, whatever whatever OD theory we said, we would look at that social movement through the lens of the OD theory. So the subject of today is to look at the subject of the Me Too movement and sexual harassment through the lens of Kurt Lewin's OD theory uh, around field theory. That's the name of the theory, field um, theory. We'd like to try and set some context on what the Me Too movement is, as well as what field theory is. So if we start with the Me Too movement, we do have a bit of an assumption that it's it's quite well known, but just to put some words to it, make sure we're on the, the same page. This is the, the, the hashtag that's being used on social media that actually started with a woman named Tarana Burke in the year 2006. So it was quite some time ago. It really, it, it slowly got started for just over a decade before Alyssa Milano and, and the platform uh, of sort of Hollywood and California and, and celebrity that she has really turned it into a, a high profile hashtag. It is all about uh, being a social movement against sexual harassment and sexual assault. So that's the purpose of, of the Me Too hashtag existing. Uh, it's not only though for celebrities and high profile, it is in use around the world and it is in use not only for, like we say, movies and such, but also, um, in the workplace, in organizations, even in, uh, family and friend type situations. Nice. 
Nice summary. It's interesting for me, John, hearing you talk about it as a man. How, what is it like to talk about the Me Too movement as a man? Yeah, thanks for asking. I uh, I noticed my my light sigh there. I I am also as a as a heterosexual male, American male. I am a user of the 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 hashtag Me Too. So it's it is predominantly known to be used by by women, but it is it is all genders and 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 gender fluid in between as well. So it's it is more than just females that have used the hashtag. Thank you for sharing that, John. Um, I, I just just to kind of meet you in that honesty, I didn't share. I didn't um, use the Me Too hashtag. And what was interesting for me, just to contrast with your bravery at using it, is I didn't use it because I didn't think it applied to me. And I was having a, a chat with a female friend that had used it a couple of weeks, kind of after the uh, after the kind of after it really went viral. <coughs> Sorry about that. And um, she was talking about why she'd used it. So she was explaining what had happened to her. She had a bit of hassle from a guy from work. And had that had been the trigger for her using it. And I realised I'd experienced the same thing. Um, so I'd experienced the same, you know, had a bit of hassle from a guy at work. Um, but I hadn't used it. And I thought that was fascinating. This thing about, you know, you can be, you can experience it and not, not relate to it or, or still think it's not for you. So just to contrast your experience, I think there was, plenty of women and men that have perhaps experienced it but also not realized they've experienced it um but thank you for that it gives us a a sense of the me too movement i guess then if we come on to field theory um you can't really talk about field theory without talking about kurt lewin um who will be familiar to all of our kind of established od professionals out there Uh, when we john and i were planning this episode we realized that you know you'd probably we could have done a whole podcast series on kurt lewin and still there would be more to say uh we don't have that um so i'm not even going to try and do him justice but if you're interested in od and you don't know him you know he's really worth looking up but a german american psychologist um a real pioneer in the field of applied psychology um really came into his own during the time um, that fascism and the Nazis were uh, coming into power where he was Jewish and he was in Germany and he fled Germany uh, in um, the 30s, uh, settled in America and really did a lot of work on sensitivity, um, change experiments, all about combating religious racial prejudices. So the work is very um, held very dearly to OD professionals and is very pertinent today. Um, especially with everything that's going on, but you know, very pertinent um, set of work. One one pieces of which is field theory. Right. So, what is field theory? It's as you know, Priya was just saying. It's it's one of his many amazing theories. This one, you have to almost go back to your your maths or your math classes uh, and remember functions. So, to keep it really simple, it, it is literally just a few letters where it's B equals the function of LS, which basically stands for B is behavior, 
And behavior in this theory is a function of your life space. And that's what LS stands for. So behavior is, um, the way I like to describe it is if you're standing on one side of a thick glass window that you can see through, it's whatever you're looking at on the other side where there are people on the other side of the window, whatever you're physically seeing them doing, that's, that's like an example of behavior. So it's one way of thinking, okay, that's behavior. And what he's trying to say is people's behavior is a function of their life space or psychological field, or frankly, everything that's around them. But he breaks it down just a little bit more to say life space is about the person and their environment. So field theory read better is behavior is a function of person and their environment. The person is their sort of characteristics or their, their way of being. Um, it's things like needs, beliefs, values, ability, capability. It's, it's whatever's going on in that human body, that, that person that they are. Um, and we know all the psychological things that can be going on for a person. But also it's, it's P plus E. So it's the environment that they belong to, which is everything that's going on around them, themselves and other people. It's, it's the situation that they find themselves in. So their behavior is going to be a function of themselves and what's going on around them. And the reason the function is there is just to show that there's a curve to it. There's an, uh, an adaptation, there's change happening. Um, and that's the general field theory by Kurt Lewin. And John, for, for the purposes of looking at the Me Too movement, so if we're going to look at Me Too through the lens of the field theory, what would be B? What would be the behavior? Right. So it seems so obvious to, to think of the behavior as sexual harassment or sexual assault. That seems like, well, that should be the behavior. And then let's talk about people and environment that, that causes that behavior. But, you know, Priya, as you and I were chatting about this, it, that's, I think, what the conversation usually heads towards is yeah. what makes that behavior okay. So you and I switched it, and I think it was your idea, so great idea to say, what if the behavior is not so much the behavior of sexual harassment, what if the behavior is participating in the Me Too movement? The behavior is using the hashtag on some social media website. Yeah. And for me, that, that has, that has a lot of, um, resonance for me because the moment that you type hashtag me too, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever social media platform you use, you are letting your friends, your family, your coworker, colleagues, associates, whatever, you're letting people know that you too have been a victim of some range, some, some, something on the range or the spectrum of sexual, assault, sexual violence, inappropriate behavior. And I, that's, that's, that's stepping forward and kind of claiming that space of me too, I think is a, is a really interesting behavior. What has led to that person? Uh, cause it's not, it's not everywhere in the world and we'll come on to that, but what has led that uh, person predominantly in the West feeling able to kind of come out and say that they have also been a victim? So there's likely some courage involved in yeah. in using that hashtag uh there's let's try and apply it to the theory right so that's the behavior is yeah. using the hashtag so what's going on on the other side of the equation what's the function of the person 
and their environment? What what's changed that you know twenty or thirty years ago, if you had tried to to speak out, um, you know, not much would have probably happened, and it still would have been okay. Whereas today, something has changed both in the people and in the environment. I I think from the environment point of view, what I would say is that it seems as though the power lied in the harassers or in the assaulters. That was the environment that existed. You could you could behave in a certain way, and from a person point of view, they're they're likely to feel shame. That's that's a common reaction to being sexually assaulted or sexually harassed. So the victim would feel the shame. The victim would feel the shame and the behavior as a function of the powers and the harassers. And I feel shame. The behavior was typically uh, be quiet. Don't say anything. Hold it to yourself and, and do your own work to somehow try and deal with that. It seems to me the big shift is the, in, in the, in all of it, but really in the environment, the power is now with the social good. The power is now with, um, this is not acceptable. And there's a, uh, a more accepted environment of, no, that behavior is not acceptable. So now your action, your behavior can be to feel the shame, maybe, I mean, likely to feel it, but also with that shame feels, uh, can come a feeling of wrongfulness or this is not acceptable and take on an action, a behavior of going and telling someone else. And with this new environment, with this shift, it's not only more likely that the person being assaulted or harassed will speak up, but also whoever they share it with is also more likely to behave in a different way and tell others or take action, make something happen from it. It's it's interesting for me the you know, Kurt Lewin was all about bringing groups together, you know, to affect change. And I think what Me Too's done on the scale of Me Too is it has it has highlighted the scale of the problem, uh, you know, which which is not you know it's not what anybody would want. Sexual harassment is not okay, but what it has done is it's highlighted the scale of it, and thus in certain for some people I think it's provided a bit of psychological safety. You know, I'm not the only one. Uh, people, women have women, men, you know, have been really brave at coming forward and saying me too, and I think others have come to realize that the shame doesn't lie with them you know they were victims it's it's the people that perpetrated these crimes and i think the other thing that me too's done because it you know it it caught fire post the um weinstein case i think is when it really with when with Alyssa Mar- milano getting involved and it really really caught fire I think that I think as well as showing the scale of sexual harassment, it's also highlighted the consequences. So, you know, Weinstein here in the UK, we have our own uh, set of um, high profile cases in the last year where people have been tried for crimes that you know happened decades ago. Um, but really showing the kind of um, the consequences. I think the environment has changed around the, the the perpetrators. You know, I think that there was a belief back then um that they'd get away with it um and now i think that environment's changing and what really brings that to light for me is the kind of second wave post me too is the hashtag why i didn't report um i don't know if you've if you if our listeners have seen that but it's really worth having a search on twitter for some of those um stories if you search the hashtag why i didn't report 
And what you see there is women coming forward and saying why they didn't talk about this at the time. And just like you said, John, you know, shame comes up um, or lots of stories where people have told somebody, whereas that person didn't also didn't know what to do. And so it became a kind of dirty little secret um, or they did try and tell somebody. And yet the consequences were uh, much more f- um the consequences were more felt for the victim rather than the perpetrator. So it was, you know, the woman or the man was accused of, and predominantly it was women, there's no getting away from that. Predominantly the woman was accused of being trouble or causing trouble. Um, you know, the guy's a nice family man, you know, you shouldn't be doing that um, or saying those things. And so the Me Too movement for me has kind of led to this whole other piece um, that's highlighted the environment changing from this second hashtag, which is, you know, like I said, why I didn't report. So since I live in the U.S. now and you're in the U.K., maybe for a minute we can look at the international perspective. What is it the same here and there or what does it look like internationally for you? Uh, It's a good question. I I feel like U.K., U.S. is pretty similar, I'd say. Um, You know, we've had different villains in the media, but, you know, I think it's pretty similar. The one uh, that really, really interests me when we were preparing for this, I was doing a bit of research was Bollywood. Um, so, you know, I'm a woman of colour. I'm an Indian um, heritage, um, really proud of India, really proud of that heritage. And I was really interested to understand Me Too within that context. So if you think about that environment, um, so the E, you know, it's much more patriarchal. Um, you know, brown women having sex is not really something that's open the way that it is um, in Western culture. And so I was really interested. So I looked up a couple of Indian actresses and articles and I could find less than 10. Um, so less than 10 Indian actresses and Bollywood's massive. You know, the, the rate of production of films that come out of Bollywood is huge. And, you know, there, there is a handful of Indian actresses that have come forward and used the Me Too hashtag. Now, I don't think that's because India doesn't have a culture of rape and violence against women or sexual assault. Uh, you know, there's been some really high profile rape cases. We know it exists. What I think is different if I apply field theory is I think the consequences or the environment is different. So as a woman, if I come out and I say Me Too... I think that environment, that's that sense of psychological safety, safety in numbers, not knowing it's okay, is different. The environment is much more patriarchal than it is in um, than it is in the West, and I think that that's a, that's an example of where it's not okay yet. I think it's changing. I don't think it's changed, but I think it's changing. But it's a interesting cross cultural example of when. You know, the behavior um, of using it means something different because the environment is different. And to me, as you've mentioned in the past, Priya, there's something about um, generations, uh, learning between generation to generation. It's almost like we have to keep relearning and keep practicing and and stay uh, right on top, keep in the conversation, these kinds of sensitive, difficult topics, right? Absolutely. What's really interesting, if you think about the time that Lewin was coming up with the rise of fascism, the Nazis, etc. You know, we're in a we're in a time now where, you know, the world is equally has some, you know, stark divides emerging, you know, whether that be Brexit, Trump, you know, what's happening in France, Italy, whatever. 
And I think there is a really important lesson about um, what things get normalised. You know, how every field theory would say to me that if the environment changes, we could go back to a culture, and I don't think we will, but if the environment changes, we could go back to a culture where the consequences of saying me too are different and, you know, people might not step forward. And it's almost like every generation needs to redefine what is okay and what isn't okay you know exactly the same as with fascism you know we thought we'd had two world wars and we'd settled the score on that um and clearly this generation my generation our generation are having to refight that fight um so that's that's an important thing you know environments don't always stay the same once you've learned a lesson it doesn't always stay and i think that's another important application point so if the title of the podcast is Questions Worth Asking, and I don't think we've made this comment before, but it's a, a quote that's been popping up more and more recently for me. It's something along the lines of, um, the answers are easy to find, it's the questions that are difficult. I wonder in this case, tying it to what you just talked about with generations, learning and relearning uh, over long periods of time, what what is the question here? What's the question worth asking in relation to uh, sexual harassment, Me Too, sexual assault, what pops up for you? I guess the first thing for me is, you know, we've cheekily called the episode title What Makes Sexual Harassment Okay? Um, And that's not us saying it is okay. Clearly, it's absolutely not. But we are looking at the conditions that make it okay or have made it okay. So I guess that's my first question is, you know, if you're a victim, you know, our hearts go out to you, please speak to somebody, please get support. But if you're not a victim, what are you doing that's contributing to that kind of culture, that kind of environment being okay? What are you doing that's kind of might be colluding with an atmosphere that allows people that do this to get away with it? And that might be things like humour, laughing along, Um, you know when things are bubbling up when the humor and inappropriate you know catcalling whatever it might be um, it might be laughing along um, and and letting these things escalate it it could be anything but just having a think about yourself and who you are in the community or organization you belong to what are you doing that's letting this kind of behavior thrive I think would be a question for me and for me as we've said here it seems that the norm is changing the environment is shifting. How is it that we can lock that in? But the real question, the, the wording for me would be, whether you're involved in sexual harassment or sexual assault directly, whether you're involved or not, what is it that you're doing to make it not okay? What is it that you're doing to make sexual harassment not okay? What are those behaviors and actions and thoughts and beliefs for you that make it not okay? That feels like a good place to leave us today. So uh, for John and I, thank you so much for listening today. It's been an important one we tackled. Hopefully this has helped to showcase um, field theory. And if you are interested, please do look up more. There's lots of available information out there. And for us today, it's goodbye from Bigglesweight. And goodbye from just outside Washington, D.C. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for being with us. Until next time, it's your turn to ask the questions worth asking.